Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo, yo. Knut. K-N-O-O-O-T. Knut. Knut. That's me. The uh, Tuesday, April 8th or whatever. Yeah, 7th. We uh, have a great topic today, which is uh, marijuana weed. I don't smoke it, but uh, I'm not against it. And um, there has been an ongoing panic in the marijuana market, unlike the crypto market, which uh, marijuana seems to be an abundant supply. So there's a massive bear market going. And uh, I have one of the original investors in the space in, from uh, Canada and Toronto, uh, Paul Rosen, who knows more about weed than uh, maybe most, and built a multi-billion dollar company during the boom in uh, Toronto and now invests in that sector and he can talk about panic pretty much. He's seeing a, a, a bloodbath up there in the weed business. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk to him. He's great uh, knowledge on the space. Uh, first, can you, you had a message, yeah, COVID hey. message. As we all know, COVID-related supplies are so hard to find these days, not just for regular people, but also for the big buyers. Even state governments can't get their hands on PPE supplies, mostly because the federal government is outbidding them. I mean, that's crazy, right? Through my best buddy Stein back in Norway, I know of a large Chinese supplier of FDA-approved PPE gear that's ready to supply big quantities. So if you know someone or know of someone at the state level in need of critical PPE supplies, please have them email me at this address, covid.stein at gmail.com. That's C-O-V-I-D dot S-T-E-I-N at gmail.com. And I'll give him the contact info and list of available supplies. Just so you guys know, Panic with Friends is not making any money from this. This is purely a way for us to help put people in contact with each other. It's social leveraging at its best. Look at you. you. Highly produced professional. Yeah. Pre-recorded. We, we don't even make any money. That goes against everything I stand for. I know. But you know what? It's trying times. We got to uh, help out where we can. Absolutely. By the way, Norway, give us one fact. Color the flags. Red, white, and blue. What's the, how does, what's the name of the anthem? Yavi Elskir. Sorry, I asked. What the hell does that mean? We have yes, oil? we love. Is what <laughs> we have means. oil, fuck we you. We love this country, blah, 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 right? You don't yeah. love anybody else. It's a little bit uh, in, in We do in, love the oil. There. <laughs> oil vey. Okay, let's get Paul Rosen on the phone and talk weed. Hello. Dr. Rosen Rosen. Hello, Dr. Lindzen. <laughs> The, How are you uh, today? Well, you are in uh, Northern Ontario or Eastern Ontario? I'm in uh, Prince Edward County, which is actually south of Toronto, uh, between Belleville and Kingston. Uh, Very charming little uh, community here. You're on the lake, Winery. aren't you? Yeah, I'm looking at Lake Ontario right now. And uh, what's the weather like today? Today was, it was actually very nice for Ontario this time of year, Howard. It was about... I'm going to say 13 Celsius with bright sunshine most of the day. So a really pretty nice early spring day. Birds chirping, some tulips blooming, and uh, spring in the air. I can tell because there's bugs starting to 
pop up everywhere. Already April? Oh, yeah. black fly Can season. No, swat, swat, no, swat. we don't have black flies there, but yeah, just in case you're homesick. <laughs> they won't last for long. <laughs> the, the, we're, I told everybody in the preamble that we're going to talk about weed. Is that okay yes, with you? Please. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to talk about anything. You know me, I'm, I have a broad <laughs> set of interests, but definitely I have a, more knowledge about the cannabis industry than anyone should have. And I'm happy to spend as much time with you on that as you would like and anything else you want to explore. Yeah, so normally in a perfect world, you'd be in LA right now. You have the killer pad and the killer neighborhood. Uh, you miss it? You know what? I was homesick, to be honest, oh, because okay. this is the first time I've ever been away from like home base. And I think that first year you just, you sort of don't feel like you belong anywhere. So I love LA and, but I was truthfully starting to get a bit homesick. Huh. Um, uh, just because I'd been there for like seven out of nine months right. and now I'm starting to miss LA a, a bit, which is what I was hoping was going to happen. Um, but you know, to quote Dorsey, there is no place like home. The, uh, yeah, Dorothy, she probably smoked a lot of weed. The, um, <laughs> the guy that wrote the book, definitely Francis Baum. Absolutely was hammered. What? Behind the curtain? What? Tin man? <laughs> wait a minute. Tin man and a fucking lion? All right. Wait a minute. The no brain part. That no sounds like brain. the uh, so many innuendos. So why Canada and weed? Is it just because of laws? Why was Canada? Canada seems to, as a conservative fucking run from your shadow country with donut. We live on donuts and weird financial creations that can happen in the U S how has that happened? So Canada, Canada's story, the, the story of how Canada became an exemplar to the rest of the world that you could have a recreational cannabis and not, you know, invite havoc on, on main street is actually quite an interesting story. And while it might seem like it's paradoxical for Canada to embrace cannabis reform, it had been in the offing since the 1970s when our current prime minister's father was our prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and he had uh, struck a commission called the Ladane Commission to look in 1975, if you can huh. imagine, on or about into legalization of cannabis. At the time, there was no political momentum, and it just didn't go anywhere. But what really started to ferment what we now call the modern cannabis economy in Canada was not an act of parliament. It was judicial recognition from our appellate courts that patients with the support of their doctors were constitutionally able and in fact required to have uh, cannabis as a medicine. So essentially, to be specific, in the 1990s, while I was a constitutional lawyer, a class of plaintiffs, all patients seeking uh, remedies for their various ailments from cannabis petition to our appellate courts and they advanced the argument that under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is the Canadian Constitution, the right to cannabis with a medical authority is um, sacrosanct. And the part of the Constitution, Howard, that covers it, this is our Section 7 clause, which guarantees Canadians the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. It's not unlike the American Constitution that uh, guarantees uh, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, so not surprising, appellate judges, when told by medical experts that some of these patients' uh, physical well-being depended upon cannabis, they found that that was 
covered by our mm. Section 7 under security of the person, and we had the beginnings of a medical marijuana program. And this is really important. That was beyond the whim of any session of Parliament to either rescind or amplify. It came from the court's Probably not everyone is as attuned to constitutional law as I am because that's what I used to be. But once uh, a right achieves constitutional recognition, it can't be to be colloquially fucked with by the parliament. It must be respected. Thanks for working on a fact. This wouldn't be a podcast without a fact. Yeah. It took you you longer than every guest so far, so thanks. You lose. See, (laughs) Canadians are conservative. Most people lead with the fact. We are. I'm just playing to type here. You're quite right. (laughs) So what happened was, this is, I think this is a kind of a fascinating story about um, the law of unintended consequences and sort of unexpected market dynamics. Well, we'll come back to that. We'll come back. I promise that we'll break off here just so people can catch your breath and learn about you. Obviously, you're giving a little bit of background, but we'll come back to the exactly that point in a minute. But let's talk about what you're doing now and who you are. All right. So I am uh, I'm a full-time entrepreneur. Uh, I've been running mostly my own self-funded companies since I moved on from practicing law in 1997. Um, and my main gig before the cannabis industry seduced me uh, is I founded and run a company called Skypad International, which is a project management and manufacturing concern focusing exclusively on global hospitality. So specifically what that means is we produce on a pure custom basis furniture and other objects of design for some of the world's top hotel chains across the globe, and we do all of our manufacturing using OEMs or original equipment manufacturers in China, primarily in Southeast Asia. Talk about chaos today, that business. Oh, yeah, so that we are uh, that company is directly in the crosshairs of the coronavirus because the hospitality industry, as oh. I'm sure everyone appreciates, has uh, as much as the airlines and the cruise ships has really taken it right on the chin. And I'll just speak to that quickly. We've never seen, and we've lived through 9-11, 2008, as a mature company, we've never seen uh, demand hit a brick wall the way it did in March of this month unprecedented. We are typically a company that will receive 100 RFQs, requests for quotations in a month. In March, we received one. We're typically a company that will be doing a run rate of between a million and a million and a half dollars of new revenue every month. In March, for the first time ever, the company had no new revenue. And that's a direct reflection of just the amount of devastation that has uh, taken place in the hotel industry people are and it's global that's the thing it's not like 9-11 was a regional event that had global repercussions but any hotel operator right now is on the brink of defaulting on their obligations and the last thing they're thinking what today is should i refurnish the hotel they're into full-blown survival mode uh, but that you know that company will will resurrect again the industry will be fine in the long term but in 2012, um, I made the unpopular decision, <laughs> unpopular with my family and some of my colleagues at my other company, to start a company in the Canadian cannabis industry. And so you kept that, that business com- going in your family, but you wanted to do something else. Yeah, that company, that that business is until a month ago was exceedingly healthy. It run and now, well. and you have like the most incredible. I mean, being in your house, the most incredible taste. We have the exact same taste, but you have access to all the best. Like you're very contemporary we, and, and we've copied the best. Yeah. What I like to say is that our industry is very much sounds like Steve Jobs. Yeah, 
But it's really, unfortunately, it, it's rife in our industry. The the disregard for intellectual property is just shocking, and at shocking. the highest possible level, at yeah. major corporations, every major hotel group has no regard for no uh, regards ownership. for B and B. Yeah, they, they just yeah, want to meet just... perfectly and cheaply every single time on time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I entered the cannabis industry, Howard, in 2012. Myself and a few colleagues of mine in Toronto started a company. It's a fairly well-known company today. It's called the Kronos Group, although we went through various name changes. Uh, we started, and I, I must just say, the one area where the cannabis industry has not covered itself in glory and it's, is, it, is its naming and branding. This is some of the Same worst possible name yeah. companies ever. Everything is cannabis or Horta this or Pharma that. They're just very tone deaf on branding and naming. And we, we were right at the top of the pack. We originally called it Hortican Inc. and then uh, went public under the moniker Pharmacan Capital Corporation that just rolled You were one of the first course. IPOs, right, Crone? We were. We were the third, actually, in Canada. The What's the ticker was, symbol in the U.S. again? C-R-O-N. Did they get acquired uh, recently it, or no? I can't remember. No. Yeah. I mean, it. Altria made a what will eventually be uh, a takeover of the company. Not a takeover, like a Altria uh, will, will, will become the controlling shareholder inevitably. But Altria, the world's, I think, second largest tobacco company, uh, put a few billion dollars into Kronos Group. Right. Uh, was last year? year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. Um, maybe a little bit over a year ago, actually, Howard. I think if um, memory serves me correctly, it was on or about January of 2019. Chronos uh, or Pharmacan, as we went public on the TSX venture first, was the third company in Canada in the cannabis industry to go public. The first was Tweed, now part of Canopy Growth Corporation, or vended into Canopy Growth Corporation. And the second was a company called Organogram. We were the third. So very early, we went public in December 2014 um, on the venture. And, uh, what was peak valuation? Up. What was peak valuation? Peak valuation uh, occurred uh, in the first quarter of 2019, and the company, including the $2 billion it took from Altria in cash, uh, it hit a share price of $34.40 Canadian, which would imply, using just rough triangulation, a market a, a market cap of about $7.5 billion Canadian dollars, or for your U.S. listeners, about 5 dollars to $6 billion U.S. dollars. And the devastation, you've seen panic and devastation, like the, what's the valuation today, 5%, 10% of that? Uh, it's held up better than a lot oh, of its peers. Um, it's tr- currently trading at around eight dollars Canadian. So, of course, you know, down more than down about eighty percent from its seismic high. But if you looked at the charts, you would see that high was an anomaly. It wasn't a, the the probably the ninety day average around that high was more in the twenty dollar. But it's price right now just. To, to be clear, it's priced uh, uh, at its cash value yeah. plus about another six hundred or seven hundred million dollars in uh, in market cap for non cash assets. And um, you're not involved at all right now. I'm still a shareholder. I, I, I maintain shares in the company. I, I definitely had a fair amount of liquidity during the great run up in cannabis stocks. But like the owner of a diner that keeps that first two dollar bill behind uh-huh. the counter, I will always keep a certain amount of my I can't talk to you about any of that. You you have a different you are a true entrepreneur risk taker man. And we don't we don't know each other that well. I met you through Lowell Cayman and we just hit it off. Is it because you were reading my blog or was it 
Yeah, uh, I love your blog every single day. I must just say, I'm your not your. You have a lot of fans, but I'm a huge fan of your perspective. And really, I must say, you're um, you're so prolific. I mean, I don't know. I know you have sleeping problems, but you just yours. You have you produce so much content, Howard, and so much intelligent content. It's um, it's humbling. I, I like to think of myself as an energetic, productive person. And I look at your, the pace of what you publish and the intelligence behind it and your knowledge of, you know, multiple markets, and it's, it's really staggering. Um, but to your point, I definitely have been uh, a, sort of a ride-it-up-and-ride-it-down entrepreneur. No one would confuse me with a good trader. I, I suck at trading, to be honest. We all Every do. time I try to yeah. trade, I, I really I glean a tremendous amount of insight from you. But... Um, Primarily, you know, uh, for better or for worse, I, I am a long, I'm a big bull in the cannabis industry in the yeah. long term, and I have primarily taken a buy and hold. That being said, I should just be clear that I, ha- I was at one point the largest shareholder of Pharmacan Kronos, um, and uh, over time, of course, due to capital raises, my percentage of the company went down, right. but my share position was intact. But I did take a lot of liquidity on that company. Oh, and, yeah. And then, I of mean, course, I, redeploy- sense, I redeployed right? it into a whole bunch of other yeah. stuff. Yeah. And honestly. Well, I'm not uh, your financial you know, advisor. Let's just be clear. But I wish just- I could, you know, if I could go back in a year in time, I would be so much smarter. I remember we sat in Toronto and I was like, I'm just picking your brain because I don't know the weed industry, but it always felt to me, because I know many of my friends from, I'm a small ease investor and I'm probably down 80%. I don't know what I'm down in that, but uh, I have a lot of friends in the young entrepreneurs from software that are in the weed business now. Not because they look, well, we're all trying to make money, but they just love weed and they love, you know, it's a drug and it's a drug like a, like taking Lexapro as a drug, you know what I mean? Like in, in from GW pharmaceuticals to other people running funds, you know, I, I decided to just give a little money to uh, a fund and say, listen, I'm not gonna, I can't trade. I have no knowledge of the industry and the supply and demand and the legalities. So I just uh, gave some money to a friend and, and the results are, you know, I think better than the industry, but still down, I think 40, 50% over the last year. And I think the industry, the ETFs are down 80%, maybe 90%. Yeah, that's right. The last 12 months. So it's not, I've never seen, this is just one of those bear markets as relentless. And what do you think the main factor is? Just too much supply? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's a whole bunch of, you know, we had more than one black swan event in cannabis. So cannabis in terms of the hysteria and the valuations hit its peak just about a year ago today, like almost March of 19, March of 2019 is when we had peak valuation canopy went to over $70. It's traded as low as 15 cents. Chronos went to 34. So recent. Low as I did, you know, you forget that it, it really was a long run. Only a year ago. Yeah. And the U.S., the U.S., the MSO is the multi-state operators. They all went on dizzying runs. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, and I'll say this as a person who got emotional uh, and did not, you know, I, it's just like the rational part of my brain knew that we were in a, I wouldn't call it a bubble, but a, a overvalued market. But another part of my brain, and I guess not the greed, but the, the, the full evangelist that had lived, breathed, eat, and slept cannabis uh, business for so many years, kind of got 
blinded by reality. I I admit it. And just kept imagining this is only going to get bigger, better, and brighter all the time. And I I definitely followed the trend up, and then I I unfortunately have followed it back down. But what happened was um, a few things. Um, first of all, in Canada, we went from undersupply to oversupply very quickly. Mm-hmm. And the oversupply phenomenon wasn't necessarily... Of, of, of stock or of, of actual cannabis? Okay. Not, not because we had um, uh, too much cannabis per se, but what we had, did not have enough and we still don't have enough of in Canada are resellers, i.e. dispensaries. Mm-hmm. So like Ontario... Today, you know, Ontario, where we're both from, uh, roughly 14 million people, until just recently, it had less than 50 resale points across the province. It's ridiculous. All, How many liquor yeah. stores are there? 440,000? Well, we also have a monopoly, a government monopoly on liquor stores. But just to compare it to, like, compare it to Colorado, a much smaller state, but with a much more sort of socialized uptake in cannabis, Colorado has over 1,000 dispensaries. So the first problem in Canada was that licensed producers couldn't find, couldn't get their product to market. Simply put, they were not enough resellers and they were, pro, while, they, while we were a medical only program, they were allowed to direct sell to the patient, but as a recreational market, they were not allowed to direct sell. They had to direct sell through essentially uh, provincial dispensaries and each province was in charge of their own distribution formula or plan. So we just didn't have enough, not unlike California, not enough places to buy product. So that created an oversupply condition. Mm. Um, the next thing that happened, and I, I think this is mindful, is Canopy Growth Corporation fired Bruce Linton, who was sort of our uh, our our cannabis whisperer, boy wonder in the cannabis industry. And I joked on a panel, that's not unlike the Vatican firing God. Uh, Bruce's reputation was so strong. And I remember the news, but I don't follow the industry. I didn't know it was that serious. Okay. It, well, it was just shocking. I think that really shocked people because uh, he was the carnival barker, if you will, and one of the most recognized executives in our industry. He was going on Squawk Box. He was going on various other business uh, programs and he was just a, a a rampant bull and a very intelligent guy. And when Canopy fired him, they didn't do it particularly gracefully. You might say it was a get out Shit now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that really that spooked the market a little bit. Like, why would they have fired Bruce? Uh, the re- it be, as earnings followed that departure, uh, it was clear that Canopy was getting ready to lay a big fat egg and have just horrendous losses Q over Q. Third. Uh, the vape crisis hit, and that was that was a real sort of um, force majeure event for our industry. And vaping had quickly become the most popular form of consumption. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the vape crisis really put our industry on its heels because we were essentially. Uh, prevented from selling our most popular product. And I don't care what your industry is, when you can't sell your most popular form factor, you're going to suffer. Well, it's like the cloud going down. You can't get the internet from the cloud. Yeah, basically. like a vapor cloud in this yeah. case, but it's yeah. like, like the cloud going down. Yeah. Um, and then, you know what, this all sort of combined to take some of the air out of the balloon. And then people started finally looking more carefully. Oh, then finally we had a, a governance crisis in Canada when one of our most highly regarded licensed producers, a company called CanTrust, that also traded on the NYSE until recently delisted, got caught in a cheating scandal. Essentially, they were, um, without boring you with the details, they were 
willfully um, uh, committing a fraud on our regulator in terms of where where and what they were growing and oh. essentially they were growing. So this, and, and they, uh, I will tell you, this was a c- company that to everyone's mind was like the gold standard of governance. So mm. all these things just started to erode uh, investor confidence in the market. And well, while pre-COVID, the, for, you know, vaping yeah, before was, was trouble. Like, I don't know where this, vaping this goes post-COVID, like where my son is even scared of vaping at this point. Yeah, so, and then, and then covid uh, just you know, just when we were, if you would say, you know, like you needed a panic. Now you got that. Like day. a free knockdown rule. Like okay, that's there's only so much. No moss. No moss. Yeah, like Roberto Duran. No ma. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the interesting thing is that the business of cannabis has never been healthier. Okay. So this is one of those times where there is a complete decoupling of the valuation metrics around the industry, or at least the public companies, and what is what is the actual business of like the commercial business of cannabis and the commercial business of cannabis has gone up month after month after month since I began uh, adventuring in this industry, you know, eight years ago and it continues to go up. Mm -hmm. And so what I feel right now is that the real culprit was that the bankers in Canada, uh, and I say Canada because Canada was the global bank for cannabis, all of the large U.S. multi-state operators came to Canada because they could list on our exchanges. The bankers were, were you know, um, pigs at the trough, to be honest, sure. and they were they pushed way too many companies. I mean, a terminal amount of companies that had no right to go public. They pushed them as sort of a conditioned precedent to do capital raises for them that they would commit to going public. Mm-hmm. And we just got into this classic um, mentality where we have birthed thousands of companies in an industry that at maturity will only need hundreds of companies. So the too many, too many companies competing for not enough customers, too many companies competing for not enough capital. And as long as the capital markets were buoyant and investors were sort of, you know, FOMO, FOMOing their way and being told you're going to miss out on the end of prohibition. Yeah. This is like investing in the alcohol companies in 1935. Yeah. Uh, we floated a lot of balloons that never should have got off the ground. Wow. And now we are in the cleanup mode. And I guess you could say, Howard, it's not that unlike what happened early in the dot-com when too many companies surfaced too quickly to take advantage of the, and yep. maybe the blockchain as well. And it no, in no way did it negate the thesis that, you know, dot-com or technology or internet uh, was not going to be a transformative multi-trillion dollar industry. It's just that we needed to go through a cleanup to separate the oil from the dross or the wheat from the chaff and let the real company stand head and shoulders above everybody else. And that's what's happening right now. We are pruning our garden. It's painful, but it's necessary. But make no mistake, the future of this industry is white bright. It could not be brighter, and the global cannabis industry is going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry. Uh, It's well on its way right now, and even COVID, quite frankly, has actually proven that cannabis is more or less resilient in the face of economic disruption, because uh, early data is that cannabis consumption and cannabis purchases have gone up since a lot of the stay-at-home orders have taken place. People are just having... The delivery companies are on fire. They're seeing their revenue in March more than double from their yeah, revenue. Yeah, ease as much as, you know, it's tough to be, you know, the Uber of, of weed in many ways. They had a good March. Even companies like Ease, even when Ease announced, you know, Ease also uh, oh. a company that we, we hold in greatest, great regard. But when they announced a few months ago that they were essentially making a pivot in their business yeah. model and that they were basically, you know, they had like two weeks capital, 
that, that shocked the heck out of the industry because yeah. everyone just assumed Ease was making money hand over fist because literally, Howard, Ease had like 90% of the delivery market locked up to themselves. And there, there are like three quarters of the counties in California still won't allow dispensaries. So the only way to get your medicine or your or your high is to have it delivered. And he's had beyond dominant market share. Yeah, market so yeah, I, would, have, would have salivated that. Yeah, there's a group that I'm a part of that's an investor. So I've I've you know, quietly followed the story along with the bigger investors in my in the group who are smart people. But man. I mean, this is pre-COVID, it was a disaster. And so I know revenue, so that's interesting about the data. So you still, what's the size, if you added everything up right now, I mean, great, first of all, great synopsis, like that's just truth. Supply, 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 you throw in some uh, other problems, some bad actors, trust. Uh, it was a cocktail for disaster. You can't blame one person. Uh, you're giving a, a, a honest recount, um, but it always comes down to supply demand um, and the fact that uh, you, know, you don't have enough resellers. Uh, that's going to be a problem. Um, so the pipe is, is all screwed up. So if it's going to be a $2 trillion entry, very high level, if someone wants training wheels exposure during this crash, and says, listen, weed may be, space and weed are the first things that go out, right? Like space and weed, like, okay, let's focus on survival. So, you know, in just, you know, investors are flocking to, okay, where's their cash flow, bulletproof cash flow, even real estate's been hurt here, and maybe commercial real estate's fucked up. So no one cares about fringe uh, bear market industries like space or like uh, weed. But if someone said, okay, you know what, I've already got my bulletproof portfolio of software companies and, and brands that I love, is there any, what's the smartest way for someone to say, I want to put 2% of my money into uh, training wheels of weed? Is there a simple way to do that? Is it through an ETF or is it through one yeah, company? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think for all investors that are interested in an asset class but don't spend, don't have the time or haven't spent the time uh, creating sort of a scoreboard to evaluate one company's prospects over another, uh, then it's safe uh, to invest in an ETF. Uh, and there's several horizon has multiple cannabis ETFs, and they've rebounded. You know, they were uh, actually just as our stocks, whether they be through ETFs or just through the actual companies uh, themselves, uh, we actually have seen our stocks mostly rally uh, while the Dow and the S&P and the Nasdaq were, uh, you know, getting hammered a few weeks ago. Uh, and so there was definitely that early data that came out that said that cannabis consumption seems to be going up as people are sheltering at home. Uh, investors took notice and uh, individual stocks started um, performing quite well. And probably over the last 60 days, we've probably, uh, as an asset class, outperformed all the major index. That being said, uh, those gains have not been distributed evenly. And I think that the ETFs, the Horizon ETFs, there's a few specifically for Canada, there's one specifically for the states, and I usually check to see what their composition is, what their weighting is. And they're, you know, they're, they're mostly, there's always a few exceptions, they're mostly sticking with what we'll call our large caps, uh-huh. which I think is a smart strategy. And um, they're mostly looking at companies that have sufficient cash on their balance sheets to be able to survive during this sort of disruptive period. So I, I tell uh, when I speak at conferences, uh, it's one thing for me to make individual picks. And yeah. I haven't always done well, but you know, 
this is all this is something that I know about as well as anybody else, and I feel like I have superior technical skills to evaluate one company over another, and I also have those um, uh, qualitative skills to assess a management team, having worked with so many management teams. But I spend literally 10 to 12 hours a day reading everything I can, just like you do in your areas of expertise. Yeah. Uh, so I'm never a day behind on what's happening in our industry, whether it's at a policy government level or an actual market level. And unless you're willing to make that commitment, you're kind of gambling a little bit right now. Um, and so the way to hedge that is to you know portfolio it, assume that the fund manager, not that they're all created equal, and I generally don't like funds myself, um, but assume that uh, you, that other that the fund manager, she or he, is doing the kind of work that I do and is um, learned, has been in the industry long enough that they understand where value lies. And in these times where uh, the market is volatile, they're able to uh, crisply reallocate their, their capital towards what I would say are winning bets. And really, just to make this simple, sim- more simple, if investors are looking at cannabis companies and they're post-revenue, uh, they're not like uh, early IP kind of company or early revenue where you're valuing uh, the assets pre-revenue. What I really just do now is I attack, I attack the balance sheet and I want to know how much cash do you have on hand because we know that the cannabis industry has to pay for its growth through negative earnings for hmm. just like Amazon. A biotech or There's, something. Yeah, yeah just like, and, and, a lot, and, and, and some of those companies, once they turn that corner, they will more than justify. But if they can be around, if they have enough of a capital base, and when the markets were frothy, there was always more capital. You know, you could just do a, a bot deal. There's always private placements to be had. As the markets have gone, grow more tepid, the sources of available capital have chilled. As uh, investors have gone to ground because of the volatility around COVID, this has negatively affected the cannabis industry because we do not yet have sufficient working capital as an industry to say, it's okay, we can take it from here. We're going to be profitable. We're going to be able to grow off of our free and clear cash flow. We're not there, not there yet. So like in Canada... Just as an example, two companies that I highlight, and not because I think they're necessarily the best run companies, although they're well run, are Canopy Growth Corporation and Kronos. Mm-hmm. Why those two companies? Because they have the two biggest underwriters in our industry, Constellation, made a huge investment into Canopy. That's Constellation Beverages. And they are now are running the company after they let Bruce go. Dave mm-hmm. Klein is now the CEO, who was a senior executive at Constellation. And Altria has got... Um, control essentially of Kronos's board, or at least will have control, and they've put a few billion dollars in. And these companies have both Kronos and Canopy. They have massive cash on their balance sheets, free right. and clear. This yeah. is not debt. This does not need to be paid back. And no matter what happens, they can withstand the short-term volatility of the vape crisis, withstand the short-term volatility of uh, COVID, uh, and. Uh, while many of their competitors will lose their their seat in line, and when um, you know, they'll be there for the long run, and so more than anything else, I really look carefully at how much cash do you have, what's your burn, 
What is your debt service cost? Are you a zombie company? And this is going to be the year, Howard, where we're going to see just a plethora of solvency crisis in the cannabis industry. Yeah. So it's going to get worse before it gets better, but that's a sobering idea to like Canopy and Kronos or maybe MJ as an ETF if people really want to start following us. And what, if someone's interested, what's like the stuff that you read at a high level? So, um, God, I read, uh, I feel like Sarah Palin when they asked her, what newspapers do you read? She said, all of them. (laughs) Okay. So all of them. Is there any (laughs) go-to aggregator? I subscribe to a number of uh, reporting services. Um, Some of the Canadian banks cover the space daily really well. Um, Canaccord and Beacon, two Canadian banks, have daily updates that are, you know, some of it's eisegesis and that they're talking of their own book, but it's pretty credible. There's a number of other reporting services. Uh, a website called New Cannabis Ventures has a good weekly summary. Um, Cowan now has, uh, Cowan's doing reporting. But for free uh, are, sites that you just go to for like industry yeah, stuff. Yeah, they push, they new, push. New Cannabis Ventures. Yeah, New Cannabis Ventures has a, is, a, is a good source. Um, and there's a number of data companies, Headset, um, just to name one, BDS Analytics, that I subscribe to that push real-time market data at me. Uh, and, you know, I never discount Google Alerts as just a good way to stay on top. I have found some of the, the rarest little precious gemstones using Google Alerts because it's stuff hmm. that doesn't really make it to the reporting service. It takes a long time to scrape but there's always things that I'll find on Google Alerts that I won't find anywhere else. So I, I start my day after I do like my wellness stuff, after I meditate and do all that good stuff to get the brain and the soul aligned. I usually spend an hour to an hour and a half just reading what has happened in cannabis in the last 24 hours. And it, it actually takes an hour and a half uh, to read not just company filings, company updates, but policy updates, advancement of medical research, um, it really is a tremendous amount of information to sort of coalesce and digest. You have to. If you're going to be an expert in your space, I have to I have to help 100 companies in software, so I've got to read all day just to make sure I'm relevant to help them with leads and everything. Precisely. Yeah. That's and it's what just, I try to do. It's kind of just to stay up to date. It's really, it's really, it's a great job for me because I love it and I'm good at it. And I've got my, like you, I've got my alerts and I've got everything set up. But uh, I also have to now know how to curate it and what to send to who and who to help speed up. And kind of that's what you're doing around the cannabis sector. Mostly for yourself, because you don't manage other money. You manage just your own money. I do not, yes. I I have been a fiduciary on two public companies. I started where I was. I'm not a fund manager, but where I had investment capital that I was deployed to allocate intelligently. And, you know, the difference in terms of how I go about my methodology when I am using my own money, where I can be, where I feel the need sometimes, I wouldn't call it spontaneous, but uh, impulsive, or at least going with uh, gambler's gut, gambler's instinct, you may call it. Yeah. And instinct is a powerful analytical tour to also, I definitely uh, have uh, on my own personal investments, sometimes favorite emotion over process. It's often worked out well. I was right. Sometimes it did not. I was wrong. But whenever I have been in that um, fiduciary position of taking other capital, then I am like classically measure six times, maybe cut once. 
Yeah. Be super, super, super careful. There's nothing worse than having to explain, you know, losing my own family's capital is not fun, but, you know, we'll live to fight another day. But losing other people's capital is the worst possible thing. I don't know how people that, people that are able to do that and shrug it off and say, you know, you paid your money, you take your chances. They're, they're a stronger resolve than me. I just cannot stand it. I just want to deliver everyone, you know, golden eggs in a basket. And um, it's just a different mindset entirely. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. What you said about yeah, information—it's yeah. the Red Queen, you know, the the Red Queen hypothesis from Alice in Wonderland, which is an evolutionary theory. Uh, the Red Queen had to move to stand still, and that's an evolutionary theory. Standing still, you're finished. Moving is the status is movement takes you the status quo. Accelerated movement may push you ahead. So just doing that daily reading is so you don't fall behind. It doesn't. Yeah, that's all I'm doing. You. It's just like you know, I work out just so I don't put on weight. Uh, because I don't eat well, so I can't, you know, it's just, it's just spinning to, to stay status quo. What, uh, is there a catalyst? Okay. It's going to be 2 trillion today. What's it worth the whole, and if you add up all the shares, is it half a trillion? Is it 300 billion? Oh, I mean the total industry today, if I, that's a great question. If I add it up, I'm going to just try to do this very quick back of the envelope. If I added up, uh, the fate and fortunes of all the public companies, all the private companies, the collective market cap is probably, um, Today, uh, maybe a billion dollars of market cap, maybe. Uh, and it's hard to hundred billion or a billion. It's got to be more than no. A uh, I, I meant to say a few billion. Few like that's billion. public that's market caps. Today, yeah, I think the collective. Um, no, sorry, 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 sorry. I got my numbers wrong. I was going to say a few uh, about a hundred billion. I didn't mean one, but about a hundred billion dollars. Feels like one to three hundred billion. Okay, so so yeah, that, that, I, I just took my zero okay. off. And, uh, and then the privates are impossible to evaluate yeah. because there's just so many. So let's say one to three hundred billion, which is around the That's crypto right. space. And then you think it could be a multi-trillion-dollar industry. So directionally, um, you know, ten to twenty years out, it feels like now. There's some of my friends who say, "Ah, you know, it's like the coolness is out now that it's legal," uh, and we'll find out that it's. Raul said that the other day, Akinut. And uh, so now the Americans can get it for free. All the fun is gone, or get it, you know. But I don't think, I don't think that. I just think it's a fluff. To, you know, as people look inwardly at their portfolio and their bond and during a regular panic and their bonds and their stocks being down, the last thing they want to be pitched is a fringe thing, especially if they're not a smoker or, or have seen the benefits, right? So that's the that's the uphill battle right now, uh, which is all the more important to try and figure out who the winners are going to be because they'll jihad higher uh, with the right balance sheet. So that's interesting take. Uh, so I appreciate that. But what, is there a catalyst that finally just says, you know what, fuck it? Like there's a catalyst that just stops it, stops the yeah. relentless downward. Is it legal? Is it a legal That's catalyst? That's a great question. Yeah, the the ultimate catalyst is going to be when the U.S. federal government federally legalizes cannabis. That is going to create the next hysterical market in cannabis. And uh, I think there's a consensus in our industry that that will be the force multiplier that the industry urgently or desperately needs. And, um, you know, as to when that will happen, it's that's a really complicated uh, set of analysis. Yeah. You, you see on any given week uh, little tender shoots poking out of the soil that would cause give cause for optimism. And then you also see other uh, in data points that suggest that it's nowhere, it's not imminent. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders said he would 
uh, legalized cannabis on the first day of his uh, administration of elected president. I feel like that's going to happen sometime between now and 2024, and that is definitely going to create, in my opinion, something like another bubble. And I just want to take umbrage politely with something you said earlier, which is that this is a fringe industry. This is the the thing that uh, I try to impress upon is that cannabis is so far from fringe and so going to be so mainstream. It's going to have a dramatic impact on CPG industry, meaning that. Um, all major, say, food companies are already piloting uh, cannabis um, initiatives. They're just, they maybe can't do it yet, but the Unilevers, the P&Gs, the Kraft Heinz, they all want in this industry. And I'm including in cannabis CBD, you know, cannabidiol, yeah. which is a non-psychoactive input that comes from the cannabis plant. And I'm including hemp, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, non-psychoactive sister of the plant. So I feel like there's a number of things that are going to happen. First of all... Um, 33 American states currently have medical or recreational cannabis. You're going to see a number of states in the next couple of months or years become full recreational, like New York State, for example, which is right now only medical is going to go full recreational. Those are big markets. We're seeing in California right now, just right now, California's cannabis industry, which has belaged with all sorts of growth problems, but still the regulated market is... Uh, on track to do about $30 billion in sales between now and 2025, according to data. And that doesn't include the huge amount of the black market that they're not capturing yet. So cannabis itself is a wildly popular product, has been for millennia, frankly, certainly for decades. And the challenge for our industry is not unlike the challenge for the alcohol industry in a prohibition, is to convert all those customers from buying from the unregulated market to the regulated market, and then allow all these great companies to innovate on product development and innovate on marketing. And when that happens, you know, I posit that you, know, you will not be able to avoid at least inputs from the cannabis plant. It's a wellness product that will show up on the uh, the, the shelves of every grocery retailer in America. And so you're going to have just in the CPG alone, and I'm not talking about, you know, traditionally smoking cannabis. I'm talking about drinking a beverage, eating a, eating a food form factor that will have some connection to the cannabis industry. And I think that is going to be, you know, it's not fringe at all. It's going to be massive. The other massive development is Big Pharma is going to create IP around formulations, and they're going to create blockbuster drugs. There's one to date, GW Pharmaceutical, which you mm-hmm. mentioned, has received FDA approval and as of yesterday has had their product removed from the Controlled Substances Act. This is a, a drug called Epidiolex, which is yeah. a go-to remedy for children with Dravet syndrome. That's a billion-dollar drug already. It just is, period. And it's just the tip of the spear, Howard. There are literally hundreds of patent applications in flight or granted for novel remedies, novel extraction techniques, novel formulation, and there's a wellspring of companies getting going through FDA process. So the thing about the cannabis plant that makes it sort of unique is that it has a massive recreational component, which will run its own market, and it has a massive IP-protected pharmaceutical component, which we're just very, very early on, but I have no doubt, I'm certain of it, that in 10 years from now, you're going to have a myriad of FDA-approved cannabis drugs that are all blockbuster drugs, uh, if not best-in-class, near best-in-class for their for the therapies or the ailments that they're addressing. And the reason why federal legalization is going to be so important is because it's going to let 
the necessary capital come in, the big money to yeah. come in. Well, and to bank it. Yeah. And to bank it. Yeah. That's the, the thing about federal, it's like if the United States made cannabis federally legal tomorrow, yeah. it's not necessarily the case that sales would spike overnight. But Stock the banks would get overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you got it right. Yeah. And the major pharmaceutical companies. The stuff would involved. be set up that supply could run and the faucets could be opened. So that, that's why I say about fluff. Like if someone's pitching me weed right now, I'm like, all right, come back to me when it's legal is all I'm saying. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's something to be said about to the latecomers who left the bones, yeah. uh, and so there's a there's a balance. I I often tell people, you know, you want you want to wait for the water to be warmer, but you don't want it to be too warm because yeah. you're going to maybe miss that once in a generation opportunity. We we had it once. We had these major valuation run up. We're going to have it again when federal legalization is either imminent or actually takes place. Uh, and I would say. You know, there's other acts of um, legislation that are before Congress right now that are interim steps towards federal legalization. There's a banking act called the Safe Banking Act, which would allow banks to actually ban cannabis. There's other uh, bipartisan legislation, and it should be said that uh, cannabis has bipartisan support. It's popular. I always joke, when you combine red and blue, you get the color green, and this is one of the few issues that red and blue agree on, is is cannabis reform. But... um, when um, when we see safe pass and banks can now uh, bank cannabis without losing their FDIC insurance, that's going to be to me a bellwether signal that the big the the ball falling federal legalization is imminent, and the time to start um, making at least tentative investments in the industry, in my opinion, would be post safe passing, pre-federal legalization, you're in this sort of sweet spot where the foreshadowing of federal, legal, federal legalization is really coming into clear focus, but you still have the negative covenants on all sorts of other capital that cannot come in, even if they're dying to come in, until it's federally legal, and that's a great time to invest. Okay, well, that was, uh, I got a great education. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad you guys are safe up there in uh, uh, Southern Ontario. And uh, hopefully you'll be back in L.A. soon and we can hang. I'd love it. All right, buddy. So uh, be well. And we'll, uh, I'm excited now that we've got the base for my listeners. You know, I think we can revisit this hopefully in the next six months when the laws uh, you know, move further along. But either way, we'll now have a base to check in on. That's a great time to be talking about devastation in certain industries because there's going to be opportunities this, this passes. And I think the one interesting signal is March's numbers for uh, the industry are up. Um, so like you said, it's, it's kind of like uh, counter cyclical in terms of usage. It's just the industry is not developed enough. So uh, we'll check in soon, my man. It's been, that's great. Thank you so much. Thanks to your listeners. Hopefully that wasn't too much of a fire hose approach. Uh, no, we needed but, the education. So that's the goal. All right, just I'll say this on why cannabis has gone up quickly. Uh, when you leave people at home all day by themselves to behave anonymously, everything is going up. Yeah. <laughs> Alcohol has gone up. Other Carbs, less than Netflix, yeah. uh, Pornhub, all of it. It's unfortunate, but it's, it's, I've checked the data. I've seen the data on it. Um, when people are able to be anonymous all day, they tend to revert to the mean, whatever that mean may be. All right, buddy. Be safe. All right, thanks, Howard. Thanks Cheers. so much again. Bye-bye. An encyclopedia, my man. Very knowledgeable man. Well, I mean, you got to go to the source. Like people always picture me deals, and I'm like, eh, I got to talk to Paul.
lucky to have that access so yeah. I kind of avoided no kidding that's why yeah. i just avoided the stocks i'm like wait a minute i'll call paul yeah and you know paul approaches it from a lover of the industry so i've also known that he was about a year ago i'm like yeah you got to diversify dude you know <laughs> and but he didn't listen that's i think we're friends i'm just honest with him now he's right. written it down and uh i'm ex- i'm hoping the industry turns for guys like that who are in it for the they they believe you know, they're users and, and participants in the weed industry trying to do good things. All right. Whoa. So talk about a panic. No kidding. Add panic on top of the, uh, the fundamentals of that industry. It's been devastation. All right. We'll be back soon with another panic with friends.